We have a lot coming up today. Uh, we have Leo 2.0 Terrell is going to weigh in on a number of issues. We'll tell you the story later in the program today, and you're not going to say, Hannity, this can't possibly be true, but it's true. In San Diego, some foxnews.com, uh, believe it or not, students that live in the San Diego district, it's about 130,000 kids, okay? Um, those students in the district now have been online only in terms of format for the entire year. They're only going to have a hybrid school opening in mid-April, where they do a combination of in-person learning, online formats, uh, according to the school district's websites. 130 kids have not been in a classroom for over a year in the San Diego Unified School District, um, which is very hard socially for a lot of kids. Some kids don't mind being homeschooled. I mean, it's a personal choice. I think parents should, by the way, have school choice. I think Republicans should champion that. Conservatives need to. And we need to fix the broken uh, school system we have and the unholy alliance with teachers unions and the Democratic Party because we pay more per capita for education than any industrialized nation on Earth. And we have the worst results for all the money we spend, especially in blue states especially run by blue state governors for decades and mayors for decades, just like they don't have law and order, just like they're defunding the police, just like they don't have safety and security in these these very same locations. It's just sad how we have let down, uh, you know, our national treasure, our children. But they are doing this, and we'll talk more about it later. Don't have time now because we got a lot to get in the program today. There's a lot of news happening. And but they are now teachers from San Diego Unified Districts. They will be teaching illegal immigrant children. In other words, the kids that are, are coming from Central America, the unaccompanied minors, when they finally get out of Joe Biden's cages that we've been showing you every night on Hannity, when they finally get out of the cages, some of them are going to San Diego. They will have in-person learning. For the, in other words, if you're an illegal immigrant, unaccompanied minor from Central America, you will get in-person learning. And the kids, and there was a quote from one of the parents here, let me understand this. So the system is that broken that San Diego teachers will teach illegal immigrant children in person, but the 130,000 students of taxpaying families in San Diego and their unified school district, yeah, they're still going to be stuck on Zoom. I'm going to tell you about a California teacher that actually uh, in social media blasting as white supremacist parents for daring to pressure schools to reopen. By the way, the schools in Florida have been open since August. Just saying, if you happen to live in the United Socialist Utopia known as California. And we got another story out in California, one in Oakland, one in San Francisco, San Francisco Chronicle on one issue where they are offering what they call basic income pilot programs. In other words, giving people free money, equal income, equal results. Um, but you can't, you can only get it if you're of a certain race. If you're a white American, you can't get it. Okay. Is that going to hold up in court? I'm not so sure. We'll ask Leo 2.0 as the, as the program unfolds today. We'll also get into the opening arguments in the case of George Floyd and the, the Chauvin case. Look, I know I come at this from a very different point of view than many others, and a lot of it has to do with the eight years that I have been training as a student 
in martial arts. I do it an hour and a half a day, four to five days a week. And I just, I mean, we practice what we call targeted strikes. Where literally, if I would have, if I would have aimed target with an open fist, with a hammer punch, whatever, whichever way I was going to strike, and I were to hit the bottom of your jaw and the side of your jaw into your carotid artery, and it was a powerful strike, and as I practice, and there was a fraction of a second, the blood is cut off going to your brain, you would fall to your knees, I promise you. If I put you, if you ever, for those of you that love MMA like I do, I mean, if I put you in what's called a rear naked choke and I lock in, I promise you, I, you'll pass out in less than 15 seconds. And it's, this is, the neck is the most vulnerable part of the human anatomy. Now, the defense now is bringing up a lot of different issues. Number one, that in fact, they are claiming that despite the nine minutes and 29 seconds that Officer Chauvin had his knee on the neck, again, the most vulnerable part of the human anatomy, uh, into the pavement where there was, I mean, we've all seen the video, and I can't breathe, and please, sir, please, sir, let me up. And then you had bystanders taping this whole thing, and he didn't let up on the neck anyway. So that's nine minutes and 29 seconds. Now, I don't even dispute, and we now have the defense saying that there will be evidence that, in fact, three police officers from Minneapolis could not overcome the strength of Mr. Floyd. There will be evidence, an autopsy found, that fentanyl, methamphetamines, what they call a speedball, was in Floyd's system. They are claiming that he also swallowed additional medicines and that the coroner's report even referred to um, the fact that he had pre-existing conditions. Let's just say all of that ends up, we know that he had the drugs in the system. All of this now is true. That doesn't negate the fact The question is, would George Floyd have died had the knee of the officer not been on his neck for nine minutes and 29 seconds? Now, knowing what I know about martial arts, what what frustrates me the most here in all of this, and this can happen in my view, and this, this goes to a lot of different issues, is that the whole time that his knee was on George Floyd's neck, he was handcuffed. He was not a threat to police officers at that point. Now, I understand the need to get somebody even in handcuffs to cooperate enough to get them into the back of a car or to get them into an ambulance, et cetera. But if you can't get them into the back of the car, a number of officers, well, they can bring in a a police van or, or some other means of travel, and they can certainly lift him in that condition and and put him safely in another vehicle. But what's frustrating is, is that had there been just some basic fundamental knowledge that of training that the police officer had, I promise you, if I took one or two of your fingers right now and I just manipulated them, not break them, manipulate them, it would be like the person would go, ah, ah, okay, okay, stop, 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 stop. That's how you would react. I know because I, in my training, have it done to me. You will you get immediate compliance and the whole nine minutes and 29 seconds. He was in handcuffs. I don't know how you overcome that. Now, what's the interesting side of this, too? And this is now going to be a big issue. I, I think that is compelling. Now, the question is, 
And this often happens in high-profile cases. If you overcharge a, and in this case, the officer, you overcharge the officer, then you're creating community expectations that can never be met. Now, originally, they, they had specific charges. Now, the medical examiner was clear, underlying conditions, the drugs in the system, that's, that's all a given. But the nine minutes and 29 seconds, he was already in handcuffs. That's an important point to me. So they charged Officer Chauvin with what's called third-degree murder, second-degree manslaughter. There was a public outcry about the charging. Keith Ellison, Minnesota Attorney General, God help Minnesota, Anyway, he then went back and added the charge of second-degree murder. The problem with it is this, and this is where now you get into le- – I'm just giving you legal arguments, analysis. I'm not giving you opinion here. Is now the burden on the prosecution to get a second-degree murder conviction, they have a very high bar threshold that needs to be met here, and they will have to convince the entire jury that, in fact – on this particular charge, second-degree murder, that the intent of Officer Chauvin was to cause his death. That How do you prove that? That becomes a very high bar. Now, in some jurisdictions, you only get that one option. In this case, thankfully, the, the jury will be given many options. But I, I don't see how you prove intent. I think that part of that law is a very high bar for any prosecutor. Not getting into the merits of it, but we'll talk to Leo. He's the civil rights attorney coming up later in the program on it. But it, it, to me, it's getting fascinating. We have a 10th woman that has now come forward with a picture of to accompany um, an encounter with Andrew Cuomo, New York's governor, I don't know what it is. If you remember the one picture that came out earlier of the young girl in the bar, I don't know why he he takes both his hands and wraps it around, in each instance, the woman's neck. That is very creepy and bizarre to me. That just is, ugh. If anyone did that to somebody I cared about in my life, I'd be pissed. Linda, you know what I mean? When you look at that, what do you think? I mean, I think he's got a lot of issues. I really don't. We don't have enough time to talk about all the things no. I think about him. But then, but then he like he, so he's got a firm grip on somebody's neck, though. First of all, that's inappropriate to me. And then kissing both of them. So now that Gloria Allred, I guess, is on the case there. So we'll we'll get to that today as well. Um, the biggest thing that we now have going on is what's happening at the border. Last night on Hannity, we showed you video. We had these 18 Republican senators, and God bless them. Senator Cotton was there. Senator Ron Johnson was there. Lindsey Graham was there. Senator Ted Cruz was there. And they got video, and Senator Cruz got video, and we now see the conditions of Biden's children. We'll call them Biden's children in cages because that's what they are. They're on top of each other in either— real cages, which I think Henry Cuellar provided, and then these plastic cages. And then if they're younger kids, they've they've got this wall built around them that they can't get out of. And the kids are all on top of each other with these tinfoil blankets sleeping on the floor with no room to step around for anybody. And we've talked about incidences of fighting and sexual attacks and very few people able to manage 
this invitation that Joe Biden sent out to people. Then you see a Biden staffer trying to block a U.S. senator, Ted Cruz, from filming this overcrowded, in some instances over 600, 800% capacity, Biden cages for kids. You know, and somebody wrote on Breitbart, is this North Korea? I mean, is this Vladimir Putin's Russia? Is this China? I mean, are you kidding me? And then they tried to get the U.S. senators that Republicans, I'll call them out when they're wrong. I have no problem. They did the right thing by exposing this. They tried to get them to erase their phones. Now, this is on top of the gag order that they've given to Border Patrol officials. They can't even do ride-alongs. They can't even allow the media any access to any of these facilities. And they've been covering this all up as they build the new Biden cages and keep bringing these kids in. And it's all because Biden eliminated the stay in Mexico policy, told them to come, stop border wall construction, and then brought back catch and release. They're estimating now it's going to be over two million illegal immigrants that will now be legal in the U.S. by year's end. And that's probably a low estimate. That means all the shelter, food, health care, education, you, we, the American taxpayers are going to be paying for. And then you're going to have the older individuals competing for the fewer jobs available during the pandemic. Never mind the fact that Joe's lecturing all of us on social distancing and mask wearing and calling for more draconian shutdowns. Uh, And meanwhile, you want to talk about the biggest super spreading event in the history of this pandemic. This is it. And they're trying to hide it from all of us. Wow. But they say they're transparent and they blame Donald Trump. No, Donald Trump solved this problem. They brought it back on on steroids and human growth hormone. All right, there's so much happening here. I mean, the idea that you're going to silence, they th- this is a mass cover-up. Now, there's a lot of reasons you got to understand. There's a lot of things going on here. And now they're not even testing. Now, remember, Joe Biden, Kamala, all lecturing us. Joe Biden saying yesterday, well, we need more draconian shutdowns, more draconian shutdowns. I'm like, okay, more. Meanwhile, you've got kids on top of kids on top of kids because he invited them as a candidate. They listen. They're even stating that's why they're coming. There's no urgency for either him or Kamala to get to the border. And now you have you won't even allow the governor of Texas to let his child protective services have access to these children. Now you're shipping these children all over the United States. They're not even testing most of them. Uh, You've got literally the coyotes and the cartels and the human traffickers and drug traffickers. They're, They're literally taunting U.S. senators that went down there, Biden and Harris won't do it. Um, And you got to understand what this is all about. Mo Brooks said it right. This has always been for Democrats. We'll give we'll give people that come into this country illegally something of great value, amnesty in the hopes that guess what? You will reward us with elections and and power in perpetuity. We'll continue. All right, 25 till the top of the hour. Uh, At the top of the hour, James O'Keefe, Project Veritas, undercover with a CBP officer 
Now, they had to alter his voice because what the officer is pointing out, and this is really chilling, leaked documents about not, not only do we have, for example, the high incidence of COVID positivity at the border, not only do we have overcrowding, not only do we have kids in cages, not only are the kids in cages living on top of each other, and even in some places, 600, 800% over capacity, um, and they're staying there for weeks at a time, uh, then they're not even being tested, then they're being sent to other parts of the country, and then they're not, they're not even allowing Child Protective Services uh, any access because of the cover-up, and they've been trying, no media has been allowed in any of these facilities. And they tried to get these 18 U.S. Republican senators that did the right thing. This is Ted, this is Ted Cruz's state for crying out loud. He has a right to get answers, as, as do all the other senators have a right to get answers for the country. I mean, it's pretty unbelievable. But now, in this Project Veritas video, uh, as they have a Customs and Border Patrol agent speaking out, that they're now seeing a record spike in sex offender encounters at the border. Uh, and that, in other words, the leaked document points out the sex offender enc- encounters from November of 2020 through February of 2021, the, they've had 214 encounters with people that they have identified as sex offenders. Remember, human trafficking is real, a big part of this. These traffickers are making, we now know, Washington Examiner reporting about $14 million combined a day. Now, also, the cartels, human traffickers, drug traffickers, the gangs, they know that Border Patrol is now overwhelmed dealing with this undocumented migrant crisis created by Joe and Kamala and their open borders amnesty promise that they, they now have pretty much free reign to get through undetected with the drugs they're bringing into the country, the fentanyl they're bringing in, the heroin that they're bringing in. And yes, and those that are involved in the trafficking of even young girls for, for prostitution and slavery. We had a guy on this program. What was that guy on about a year ago, Linda, that he spent 15 years border patrol just in this one area. That's correct. 214 encounters of people known to have be sex offenders. We witnessed, quote, this is on the tape of the CBP insider, the aftermath of some of the sexual assaults at the border. We have arrested and and rescued illegal immigrants that had been raped. There's a guy who actually kept a diary or a notebook writing in every horrific thing he did to underage girls, what they did, who they were, their name, their age. They've seen deaths. We had this 19-year-old die in, girl die in the Rio Grande. There's another girl, 19 years old, fell off a fence, hit her head, died. They've seen that. The Border Patrol agent says this in the tape that they have. But Joe Biden tells us, well, Kamala's in charge. Well, guess what? We've checked uh, Kamala Harris. Now she said at least three times, she said three times, that she, I just haven't been briefed on that yet. I'm not going now. No, I'm not going to the border. Joe's not going to the border. He's too tired, I guess. Too busy, too confused, too confounded to do anything. Anyway, so we're told that Harris is in charge, but her schedule doesn't have a single immigration-related meeting on her schedule at all. Nothing. So she's not doing anything to solve this huge problem. 
Circle back press secretary Jen Psaki clarified, well, she's really only in charge of diplomacy. Okay, did it take a week to set the record straight that she was put in charge by Joe Biden? But I guess that didn't go over very well, considering she's in charge of all the phone calls with foreign leaders, which is supposed to be Joe's job also. Maybe she didn't want the job. I mean, maybe she's too busy doing the rest of Joe's job. The feds have an all-time high, 18,000 miners now in custody and many in temporary facilities. Now, remember, we're on track now, two, two and a half million people this year. That's a minimum. Well, that means every person, they're going to need a place to live. They need to be fed. They're going to need health care. And now we're learning in San Diego, they'll get in-school learning before the children of taxpaying parents in the San Diego Unified School District. And no, I didn't make any of this up. It's all real. It's all happening. It's pretty unbelievable to me, the number of people we're talking about here. It's unbelievable. All right, 800-941-SEAN if you want to be a part of the program. One last note on this. Joe Biden obviously doesn't care about the health and human service staffers, you know, like the Joe Biden staffer that tried to stop Senator Ted Cruz from filming what was actually going on because they won't let the media in any of these facilities. Nobody is yet to get inside any of the cargo containers where they're housing kids also that have a tiny window with a bar on it. But we're told they put butterflies to decorate the inside of the cargo container. Imagine if Donald Trump ever did this. Um, anyway, you know, Biden's uh, a big COVID advisor, uh, Anthony Fauci, CDC chief, Neither one has said a word about all these unaccompanied minors, all these people coming across the border, the lack of testing, the high positivity rate, or shipping people to other states. You want to talk about a super spreader event? This is this is it. This is the big one. Guatemala on Monday, they authorized the use of force on their border with Honduras to block another U.S.-bound migrant caravan that they said posed a coronavirus contagion risk. Our own CDC has said don't travel to Central America because of the high rate of of COVID incidents that are taking place there. Unbelievable. Can't make any of this up. Um, Why are we funding the WHO? Donald Trump stopped it. The WHO has literally been the mouthpiece for the communist Chinese. The government. President Xi. He'd been the mouthpiece. Now we have questions that we weren't even allowed to ask six months or a year ago without risking being canceled about this Wuhan lab. The most telling thing about China and their guilt in all of this is simple. You know, with all the talk about Donald Trump's travel ban 10 days after the first identified case of COVID-19 in this country, the one that Joe Biden called uh, xenophobic and hysterical. And he was still saying it a year ago this month that it was xenophobic and hysterical. Meanwhile, that travel ban saved countless American lives, incalculable numbers of American lives. They were busy impeaching Donald Trump at the time. They had no thought of COVID on their minds, the Democrats in Washington. But we now know that when the most telling thing that China did in this is they cut off all travel outside of Wuhan province to in to go to Wuhan province. You couldn't travel from any other part of China to Wuhan province. 
You couldn't leave Wuhan province and travel to any other part of China. That pretty much tells you everything the communist Chinese government and President Xi knew. And while they were protecting their country from the Wuhan COVID breakout, they were allowing people from Wuhan and no problem with them getting on international flights and flying all around the world, which led to the mass spread and and pandemic that subsequently unfolded rather than having invited into the country. I remember asking former Secretary of State Pompeo, I said, if if Chinese President Xi called you and said, hey, we got a problem. We think we have a a virus here that is is getting out of control. Would you send U.S. medical professionals, researchers, scientists, doctors over there to help them? He said, absolutely, in a heartbeat. They probably could have contained this early on and not have all of this destruction. But obviously, the communist Chinese government under President Xi, dictator for life, hostile regime to us, as they are, they cared about protecting only the people of China, not the rest of the world, with their own travel ban. But yet the WHO, they're they're still going out there, you know, even getting some Democrats finally joining Republicans, you know, saying that, you know, it's, it's animals rather than the Wuhan lab. Well, that's not what we're finding. Because we got this joint report from the WHO in China. WHO has been a mouthpiece for every lie China has told the world the whole time. Now even Democrats are joining Republicans, slamming the report as abusively biased because the Chinese Communist Party-led government's role in the investigation. And all they do at the WHO is now now Joe's paying them money again. Why would we do that? And by the way, while they're doing this, they say, oh, we're going to get tough with the communist Chinese. No, they're not. Because Joe and Hunter are compromised based on the $1.5 billion deal with the Bank of China. God only knows what information and intelligence they got on Hunter and Joe when they were in China from the from the Obama Biden years. One of the great media mob myths out there is that President Trump didn't take COVID seriously. He did. Ten days after the first case, he put the travel ban in effect. Operation Warp Speed, yeah, that would be Donald Trump. While executive orders putting COVID-19 patients in nursing homes, group homes in New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Michigan were taking place, Yeah, Donald Trump was busy building the hospitals, manning the hospitals, converting the hospitals to COVID-19, providing the PPE that these these states never prepared for in spite of their own health care task force telling them to prepare that it will happen, not when it happens, when it it will happen. We now know these lockdowns, by the way, they did more harm than good. We saw in yesterday's news lockdown states like New York and New Jersey Yep, the two highest COVID spikes in the country right now. Texas, fully reopened. Florida, kids have been in school since August. South Dakota, they never had a single shutdown. Mississippi, same thing. All these red states did so much better. Anyway, the Biden administration now admits that their vaccination strategy has been a failure. Their CDC director yesterday said that the spike in COVID cases gave her a sense of impending doom. Oh, that gives me real confidence. Now, what the CDC director didn't mention 
is that the real reason for the spike may have something to do with Biden's failed vaccination strategy that he's bragging about. Donald Trump had already had almost 40 million shots in people's arms when he left the White House, and he ordered 800 million doses of the vaccine. Now Biden officials admit that the government-run centers performed well below expectations. Yeah, I keep hearing about doses being thrown in the garbage. Politico even wrote the Biden administration is rethinking a costly system of government-run mass vaccination sites. You know what Ron DeSantis is doing down in, in Florida? Publix, your grocery chain, people are getting vaccinated. CVS, Rite Aid, people are getting vaccinated. Now, another thing that is emerging in this is this idea of a COVID passport. Here we go. Uh, Governor DeSantis, to his credit, taking the lead, and he's using executive emergency action against any kind of vaccine. Where are your papers passport? Now, I don't know why there aren't more liberals that agree with me on this, because this to me is a matter of privacy. If you want to get the vaccine after consulting with your doctor based on your private medical condition, whatever it happens to be, good or bad, maybe in perfect health, I don't know. Maybe you have pre-existing conditions. Maybe you have a compromised immune system. Maybe you have comorbidities. I don't know. But it's none of my business. Now, people can say that, all right, you can't go to the game. You can't go in the arena if you don't wear a mask. And if you want to give people the option of having a passport, I guess they can have it. I'm not getting one. If it means I can't go to a game, I won't go. But I'd like to have my own personal medical privacy. And the idea, too, that some I hear rumblings of people saying, well, if you don't get your vaccine, you can't go to work. I think that's that that is not a decision any employer or anybody ought to make for anybody else. That's why I didn't like congressmen and women and senators, you know, being shamed because. They're wearing their masks. They're following protocols. They're keeping socially distant. And if they choose for whatever reason, it's none of nobody else's business. You should not be shamed into getting a vaccine. Now, my personal decision so far is that, you know, when I, I'm, I finally can get it. My doctor wants me to get it. I'm leaning towards getting it. I believe in the science. Some of my friends think I'm nuts. I also read articles that scare me a little bit, but, you know, because I read everything. But I would recommend for all of you, consult with your doctor or doctors, read as much as you can, and make an intelligent decision on your own. And if you want to keep it private, you ought to have the right to keep it private. It's nobody's business if you get the vaccine or not at this point. All right, hour two, Sean Hannity Show, 800-941-SEAN, toll-free telephone number. You want to be a part of this extravaganza. Unbelievable, the the amount of news we're taking in on a daily basis. Uh, You know, you you watch, for example, the the border. I, I look at all the news at the border today. Biden announces that, oh, he has tasked vice president. Well, maybe we should just practice now. Uh, President Kamala Harris Uh, to take over the border response, considering she's doing apparently most of Joe's work already. Uh, But anyway, what is she doing? She she, not her schedule does not have a single immigration related meeting. No plans to do what 18 Republican senators. And I'm the first to call them out when they're wrong. 
Well, they went down there and they got the pictures, even though they tried to stop Ted Cruz. Um, why is she, you know, for example, why is Harris doing so little? Circle back Saki, Jen Saki, uh, the, the press secretary, says, well, the Veep is uh, only in charge of diplomacy to address the problems root causes. We know the root causes. That is, yeah, bringing back catch and release, open borders, Joe's uh, invitation to come and seek asylum, and ending the stay in Mexico policy and stopping border wall construction. This is not hard to do here. You know, maybe Harris decided she didn't want the job. Uh, but Joe, he, he barely knows anything about it because he just sat there and lied and blamed President Trump for his decisions. And now we've got kids in more cages than ever before. We're setting records with kids in cages. It's pretty unbelievable. You know, I'm going to tell you, you got to understand here, Republicans, they never really cared about solving the border, open border crisis because they were appealing to their special interest groups. They all wanted cheap labor. And then the Democrats, Mo Brooks made the statement, and he's right about it, is Democrats want illegal immigration and amnesty so that they will give something of great worth and value, and that will be a voter block, and they'll win elections in perpetuity, and for them it's all about power. And I never thought I'd, I'd read what I saw today, which is in San Diego, public school p- teachers Now, they're going to give illegal immigrant children in-person instruction before their own students. Now their estimates will have an additional 2 million illegal immigrants coming into this country this year. Now, remember, all all their housing, all their food, all their health care, all their education, that will be paid for by you, the American people. That will drive wages down as Americans try to get back to work when draconian shutdown efforts, if they ever end. But anyway, teachers in San Diego teaching migrant children in person before American students. And they're learning, you know, American students are learning online. They're not expected to move to even the hybrid model until the middle of April. But you have 130,000 kids that don't have access to a classroom for over a year in San Diego. One full year, no, no school whatsoever. We saw the video of what, what Ted Cruz showed us, Joe Biden's cages for kids. Well, there's different versions of it. Some are actually cages. Some are plastic cages. Some of those little toddlers, they have the, you know, they build up their own walls so the kids can't get out of there. Then you have, you know, literally... Ted Cruz, other senators being taunted at the border, but at least they, you know, we're getting lectures on COVID and wearing masks and social distancing and the kids in the Biden cages are literally on top of each other with a high positivity rate for COVID-19. If they even test them, they stop testing them. And then on top of all of that, well, you see a majority of, of families, they're being released into every state across this country. Unbelievable. And what do we have? We have a Joe Biden staffers getting in front of Ted Cruz's camera because they don't want you to see it. They're asking senators to hide it. Hide it. We can you you need to you need to uh, cancel or whatever. Erase the cell phone videos you've taken and, and pictures you've taken. Border agents now have a gag order on them. But there are some brave people out there that are not listening. And they're not going to not tell the truth about what's going on. Now, one such person was picked up by our friends of Project Veritas. 
exposing the truth of what is happening at the border. Uh, because of voice recognition capabilities, this guy, you know, it's it's distorted. They have to distort the tape because otherwise this guy's going to end up probably, you know, arrested. Anyway, you have a brave insider inside the Customs and Border Patrol Agency that has now corroborated leaked documents that were sent to Project Veritas showing that criminal aliens, even with sex-related offenses, they're now re-entering the U.S. or attempting to do so in record numbers because they know that the opportunity is now because all of the human resources of CBP and ICE, etc., are being used to, you know, manage the kids in cages that Joe Biden is building. Anyway, they have documents showing a significant increase of agents encountering these criminals with sex-related offenses, that they're coming into our country which puts Americans at risk. You understand that. You have one leaked document, the sex offender encounters increased, you know, the, the, the increase is now 214 from October 2020 through February of 2021. The CPB, CBP insider says we've witnessed the aftermath of these sexual assaults at the border. We've been chronicling for you. How many people are getting assaulted making this perilous journey because Joe told them that they should seek asylum here as a candidate? They're listening to what Joe told them. One guy got caught with a notebook where he'd write in every sexual thing he did with a girl. He actually wrote a diary of it. Anyway, listen. These documents, this is something called the Border Intelligence Daily. It says sex offender encounters by U.S. Border Patrol has reached a five-year high. Do you feel that's accurate? What do they mean by encounters? So an encounter is an arrest, and it's extremely accurate and possibly underreported because sometimes we don't know about their criminal history or they haven't got caught. In this document, it says that criminal aliens with sex-related offenses are attempting to re-enter the U.S. in record numbers during the pandemic, likely due to unstable economic situations. It goes on to show some figures that show we're only five months into the fiscal year uh, of 2021, but there's already 214 of these encounters, sex offender encounters, compared to the yearly total last year, which was 154. That's a pretty big difference. Um, You sure these numbers are accurate? I would probably say they're underreported. All the records of the criminal aliens and sex offenders that we arrest now, they all have been previously deported from the United States for committing these crimes in the United States. All right, joining us now, James O'Keefe, founder and CEO, Project Veritas. I want to make one thing clear here. Voice recognition, it's sort of like a signature. If, if If the equipment we have today, sophisticated as it is, is used even if you disguise somebody's voice unless you disguise it to the extent that you did this guy's identity would be revealed and he'd probably end up with a lot of consequences is that fair oh sean thanks for having me on again i mean it, it's it's possible i mean it, it you know we we do our due diligence to try to really put it through multiple layers of distortion and uh you know it's it's one of the risks that these guys take but they're so passionate about speaking and as a result of this interview sean we did with this individual that leaked us these charts showing that the sex offender encounters have increased 
such a huge degree the last five months after Trump left. I mean, these people just are so passionate about speaking on the record, and a lot of them are inspired by what this person did. Okay, now let's talk about what this brave insider for CBP is telling you. So this leaked document shows sex offender encounters increased uh, in 2021 with just 214 of these incidents from October 2020 through February 2021. So just the five months already represent the highest total of recorded encounters compared in the previous five years. That means that what this private document, it's unclassified, but it's law enforcement eyes only, which this whistleblower is speaking to, there's been more of these things happen in the last five months than, than all in the previous years combined, because a lot of these people are coming across the border now because Biden is president. And they're telling everybody, they're telling our investigative reporters the exact same thing. We're hearing it on both sides of the border and in the interviews we're doing with the people that are coming here. You know, we're, we're talking now about, and, and I actually had on this program, this goes back maybe a year or so ago, I had a Border Patrol agent that spent 15 years and, and the trafficking, human trafficking of young girls into prostitution. And I was, it, it shocks the conscience and soul. Basically, we're talking about young, you know, teenage girls, 13, 14, 15 years old that are then brought to the United States and sold into slavery, sexual slavery, uh, and literally run by gangs and cartels within states in the United States. And he walked me through the entire thing. I, I mean, I wanted to cry listening to how how extensive this this networking of of sex trafficking of children for prostitution goes on but this is all real james yeah this this uh, uh cbp insider said that they've witnessed the aftermath of, of the sexual assaults at the border uh he witnessed uh, he, this is again hard to hear over the radio because his voice is distorted so he says there was one guy he caught with a notebook where they wrote in all the sexual things they did with the girl, what they did, who they were, their name, their age. He's also seen deaths, teenage girls falling off the fence, hitting their head. And I asked him, what are you afraid of the most? And he told me that he hates seeing dead children in the desert. So all of these things are increasing. These are all horrific, awful things, but they're increasing in numbers, particularly these sexual Sex offender encounters are increasing exponentially now, uh, and you know, Sean, our our goal is to draw out more whistleblowers, and we, we uh, Veritas can confirm for your audience that some of these federal employees are currently recording for us at the border in increasing numbers. Uh, with hidden cameras exposing what the conditions are like, and and you'll see uh, some of that video come out in, in the next few days. Uh, wow. It's just mind-numbing. Now, when you spoke to this person, you were able to confirm the identity, correct? Yes, yes. We have our way. We, don't, we always verify. We use multiple sources. We look at the badge numbers and things of this nature to confirm that it's a real person. By the way, I see you winning more lawsuits every time you get involved in any legal matter. I don't think I've seen a time that you guys have lost yet, have you? Not in our corporate history, Sean. We've never settled a lawsuit, and I, I told Linda that... Uh, 
We just got a victory uh, last week, uh, Supreme Court of New York. Uh, we got past motion to dismiss in a defamation lawsuit against the New York Times. That's truly historic. It's only happened a few times in the last 50 years, and uh, that's a big deal. It means we get discovery into the New York Times. We get to conduct videotaped under oath depositions of the reporters who lied about us. So we, we uh, and, and if they've done it to me, Sean, they've done it to thousands of other people. Oh, listen, I've been I've been round and round with them. I, I'm actually I still have time. And I've not closed the door on a possibility. You know that I think Governor Palin's case is still going on with the New York Times, too. And I'm just tired. I'm sick and tired of their crap. You know and I know. And the problem is, as a public figure, the bar is high. They can pretty much lie and say anything they want about you. And they do. And I just got sick and tired of kind of being accused of murder, which is what they ostensibly my interpretation of what they were saying about me was. And well, you just get sick and tired of it. The challenge is in order to win a defamation lawsuit, to your point, you have to prove what's called actual malice. You have to prove that they knew that they were lying about you, and you can't prove that until Unless you, you have get discovery. Past, discovery, you get past motion to dismiss. What's extraordinary about our case last week in New York State is that we've now gotten past motion to dismiss. We get to ask these reporters, Maggie Astor is her name, she lied about us, called our video deceptive, said I was part of a misinformation campaign. We get to ask her what was going through her head. And Sean, I think we're going to win. We've already won in the sense that we can conduct videotaped discovery into Dean Becke and all these people. So a lot of people reached out to me in the last week or two and said, James, I'm thinking of contemplating the New York Times. And I think there should be a lot of people who do because it's gotten it's 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 just out of control and and people need to start suing in my opinion all right stay on top of this james o'keefe i mean anything you can do to stop this trafficking of of kids into prostitution uh please i want you to do um and if we can help in any way we really want to good job with the lawsuit by the way interestingly it's times v sullivan which is the case that created the malice standard for public figures um, that you were just describing. Uh, thanks for being with us, James O'Keefe. When we come back, eight hundred nine four one. Sean, we got a lot of other news of the day. We will get to. We'll update you now on women nine and ten making accusations against Andrew Cuomo. Uh, so far, nothing happening. Twenty-five to the top of the hour. Eight hundred nine four one. Sean, you want to be a part of the program? Before we get to some calls here, want to give you an update on what's happening with Andrew Cuomo. Now a tenth woman has come forward with a picture uh, and a virtual press conference with Gloria Allred is representing her. He's 55-year-old Sherryville, and uh, it actually came with a picture. I don't know what it is about Cuomo. Anyway, so we have that. Then we have this other, these other issues. And it seems like you know we only have the investigative reporters that were kind enough to share the intel they found out about the group home scandal where COVID patients, the executive action that Cuomo took there that is still in effect today, where they were sending COVID-19 positive patients into these group homes, 32 workers died and, you know, some 10,000 got COVID-19. We had another 530 some odd patients die, you know, in that case as well, and another 6,500 or 6,800 that got COVID-19. Never, never once has he thought about, I guess, getting rid of that executive action. On top of that, the nursing home scandal. And we now know that this late March 2020 executive order, by the way, same thing happened in Michigan. 
And it looks like Whitmer's being being protected by the, an attorney general that's highly partisan in Michigan. And we got the same problem with Murphy in New Jersey. He made the same stupid mistake. So did the dumb Democratic governor of Pennsylvania. He made the same dumb mistake. And none of them owned up to it. But Cuomo, we now know, based on one whistleblower that has come public and said they purposely hid the numbers of nursing home deaths to prevent the Department of Justice from getting hold of that information. And they they knew, even though this was late March, they knew about 9,000 deaths had taken place by June. And then rather than fix the problem, admit the error and rescind the executive action, they just they just went into full cover up mode. And and Cuomo then got busy writing his book on leadership. Now, we have a state senator in the great state of New York. Not many great ones, but there's a couple. Uh, his name is Anthony Palumbo. He's kind of been the leading voice on the deaths resulting from the governor's executive actions. And uh, anyway, here's Cuomo saying he's going to fight to the bitter end and take on the lies of the nursing home scandal. I'm not, not going to let New Yorkers be lied to. I'm not going to let you hurt New Yorkers by lying about what happened surrounding the death of a loved one. Uh, I see that as my job, and I'm going to do it aggressively, because you have no right to lie, and you have no right to hurt people. Uh, I don't care if it's your politics. You can't lie and cause pain to people who are innocent bystanders to all of this. Uh, So I'm going to take on the lies and the unscrupulous actors, especially when they cause pain and damage to New Yorkers. I should have done it before, and I should have done it more aggressively. Anthony Palumbo joins us now, state senator. Senator, how are you? I'm well, Sean. Thanks for having me back. The fascinating thing in all of this is these are all Democrats exposing the nursing home scandal and the group home scandal. And the the women that are coming forward were Democratic supporters of Cuomo. This is not a Republican-led effort. Just so people understand, New York is a one-party state. They have veto-proof majorities in your, your body, the state Senate, and in the New York State Assembly. And then, of course, you got Cuomo. It's a one-party state, so it's really these efforts to remove Cuomo have to come from the Democrats, and they have been. Is that true or false? I think it's true. I think a lot of it has been for political cover, that they needed to do it. I mean, the hits keep on coming, right? How many more are there going to be? We're up to 10 accusers. Um, He's got some chutzpah talking about lies, that people are lying about this. What are the facts? Let's talk about this. And I've said this when we spoke last time. I'm a former prosecutor. Let's just follow the facts. We know they misrepresented the death result from the nursing homes way back in the summertime. His book wasn't published until October. He got over seven, he made over $2 million on his book deal. So he didn't want to tarnish his public perception that he was America's governor. Everyone was fawning over him as this wonderful leader. And I, people, the Cuomo sexuals watching his show every day and all the silliness that was surrounding that on CNN with his brother talking about mom, so charming, and they lied. So when he talks about liars, he needs to look in the mirror. He's got some chutzpah to say that publicly, but, you know, he's shameless. This is something that, um, you know, he refuses to acknowledge. And most importantly, as you mentioned earlier, the Office for People with Developmental Disabilities 
they still have the similar order, a twin to the original order that required them to take COVID-positive patients back into their facilities. And we've had hundreds of deaths as a result. And why in this day and age are we dealing with, have, why is this still in effect? I introduced legislation last week. Not a single Democrat signed on to it. We've made a FOIL request for that information. On the investigations committee where I'm a member, I asked for an investigation. That chairman now punted that over to a different committee because I was causing so much trouble. Um, it's, it's amazing to me. And today, we're going to go out on the floor in a little bit, and I'm going to debate the legalization of marijuana. So they don't have time to deal with some of New York's most vulnerable people, those with intellectual and developmental disabilities, but they have plenty of time to pass a bill legalizing adult use of marijuana. Um, it, it's just sickening to me. Hey, that, hey Senator, that I'm looking so at the proposed up. tax increases in New York. I mean, we're talking about what's the latest proposal? How many billions of dollars? Ten? Well, 15 yeah. uh, on top of the free money they just got in the blue state bailout, quote, emergency COVID relief bill that is anything but emergency relief. How much money is New York getting from states that uh, elect fiscally responsible governors, senates and assemblies or state legislatures uh, that pay that balance their budget, that live within their means, that pay off their pensions uh, how many, how many, how much money is New York taking from other states that are fiscally responsible? That's a great question. And his buddy, Joe Biden, is redistributing wealth now to the blue states so that they can recover. And let's not forget, New York had a $6 billion, with a B, $6 billion deficit prior to COVID. And the federal money that we're getting is going to not only cover that, it's going to cover all losses due to COVID and the pandemic. So we're made whole. So the excuse that we need to legalize marijuana today because we need the revenues is just a fabrication. By the way, all that is about, it's sort of like the lottery. Remember, for example, what do we always say? What was the main business? If you go back, the old crime families, they they ran the numbers racket, right? Prostitution rings. Um, They were involved. But it's illegal for anyone else to have their own lottery system. But the state... They allow their gambling, just like Aqueduct is expanding. They're going to have more gambling in New York, and they're going to make marijuana illegal. And what is it really all about, Senator? It's about money, isn't it? Exactly. And that's what it is, because they feel that big government is the way that they know better than you. They know, they know more about everything, about medicine, about spending. So you need to give them the money and let them spend it, which really equals what? Power, clearly. It's absolute power is what they're looking for, which we all know absolutely, it corrupts absolutely. So, you know, shame on them, but you're, you're absolutely right. We're taking money from those states that are responsible and going to just fill it into more programs and all kinds of other, really not progressive. They've gone overboard to socialism, I feel, um, unfortunately, in the great state of New York. Uh, we appreciate the update. State Senator Anthony Palumbo, I, and I don't see any real hope that any Republican could win in the state of New York. Although I will tell you, um, you know, the former Westchester uh, County leader, um, who's a really good guy, Rob Astorino. Do you know Rob? I think I think he's thinking about running. Now, Rob is interesting because he, he did a great job in Westchester. I think he could win Westchester. I think he could win Long Island. I think he could win upstate New York. But New York City, you got nine million votes. 
And I don't know how you overcome a deficit like that where people walk in like zombies and just basically vote straight on leftist socialist Democrat. The same New York City that elected, you know, that dopey mayor of ours, uh, <laughs> Comrade de Blasio. <laughs> right. You know, in fact, Rob Astorino and I were playing phone tag yesterday. He called me probably to chat about that. Um, I like Rob Astorino. I've known Rob Astorino oh, for 20 guy. years. He's a great guy. By the way, great Curtis guy. Lee, Lee was running for mayor. I, I yeah, wonder how he I'm would sorry. do. All right, go ahead. Oh, he'd be great. And, you know, the bottom line is the, the, the majority parties, the Democrat parties, is more concerned with social justice right now than public safety. And I think public safety always rings, always comes home. So I, I think if they continue with these outrageous policies that we jump up and down and scream about, that rational thinking persons will actually read the ballot and think about where the direction of the state is going. Because I'm concerned, I've got a 13-year-old and a 17-year-old, I'm concerned about our country, let alone our state. But the way our state has been going the past few years, it's just, um, it's terrifying. And I think that, that hey, by the way, Senator, rational-minded people will vote properly. As soon as I can get the hell out of here, I'm leaving like everybody else. I'm leaving. All right, to our busy phones we go. Patrick is in Connecticut. Hey, Patrick, how are you? Glad you called. Hi, how you doing, Sean? I'm good, sir. What's going on? Thanks for having me. Um, just a quick little background for you. I'm from uh, Danbury, Connecticut, very blue state. Uh, type 1 diabetic, 26 years old, and I work as a chef. So I definitely work with a large majority of illegal immigrants, and I see how they live, what they're usually doing, and I'm just kind of baffled by what's going on on the border right now, as are they. Um Many of them get free health care. Meanwhile, as a type 1 diabetic, I'm playing, paying uh, almost $900 a month. Uh, that's a lot of money you're paying, really. Yep. It's, I mean, at this point, this is the first year of me having to pay my own uh, insurance. I'm holding out for a new job. Like I said, I'm a chef. because kind of not getting benefits through my job right now. Just holding out for the next job that will give me Well, because half the restaurants have been shut down uh, in Connecticut, but only recently did Connecticut supposedly start opening up. Yeah, I would say supposedly we have started getting a little bit more busy, but as we've gotten busier, most people that I try and hire who are basically like gold now are MIA, probably because they're still on unemployment. So I've been doing the job myself for six days a week for the last year now, and I've just now gotten my two days back a week, and it's just been a nightmare. Unbelievable. Well, listen, we wish you the best, and maybe you have to you know, move to a different part of the country that's open. It's called Florida. It's called Tennessee. It's called South Carolina, North Carolina. There are other places. It's called Texas, South Dakota, you know. Um, anyway, Patrick, I wish you the best. Uh, one of my favorite jobs growing up was cooking. When I, one day when the, when the chef cooked at this restaurant where I was a dishwasher and the owner threw the apron at me and said, you're in charge of the late night menu. And I got to make, you know, I was making, I take live lobsters. I'd rip out the, the poison sack. I'd stuff it with, you know, crab meat, whatever we had. I cook burgers and steaks and French fries and onion rings, and I'd help out on Thanksgiving, busy days like that. I loved it. Absolutely loved it. I love to cook to this day. I spend a lot of time making my own food. I just like to do it myself, the process of doing it. I like every aspect of it. I love grilling, too. News Roundup and Information Overload. Hi, News Roundup, Information Overload. Thank you for being with us. We'll get to your calls this half hour, 800-941-SEAN. You want to be a part of the program. I'm looking at all of these 
these incidents unfolding before our eyes. And I can't even believe that these are issues that we have to cover sometimes. I just can't. I'm looking, for example, San Diego schools. Now, you got to understand, these schools have been closed completely. It's been online learning only. They're only talking about a hybrid model that they're going to start in mid-April. In other words, we're still at the end of March here. It's March 30th. Mid-April, they're going to have a hybrid, meaning some Zoom classes and some in-person classes. All right, so you think, okay, well, that should, that should be the standard for everybody, but that's not the case. You can congratulate uh, President Harris, to quote Joe, uh, and Joe Biden or the Biden-Harris administration for finally succeeding in getting some schools open in California. They're opening schools. Foxnews.com reported this story because teachers from the San Diego Unified School District, they're going to teach illegal immigrant children in person before American citizens are being taught in person. I'm reading right from the piece, quote, the San Diego County Office of Education is providing the educational program for the unaccompanied migrant children who will be staying at the San Diego Convention Center through July. Meanwhile, students who live in the district are currently learning in an online-only format, and they're expected to move to their hybrid model April 12th, mid-April, when they'll be learning in a combination of in-person and online formats, according to the school district's website. We have 130,000 kids, in other words, this is in the article, that haven't been allowed in a classroom for over a year in the San Diego Unified School District. By the way, they've been open since August in Florida, just minor point to make um so and but it's great that there's in-person learning for all of these kids in biden cages that we've been talking about unaccompanied minors from central america they will be taught in person the article goes on uh to talk about quote the system is broken when san diego teachers are teaching illegal immigrant children in person But the 130,000 students of taxpaying families in San Diego and their unified school district are stuck learning in a Zoom school, according to Emily Diaz, a one of the parents uh, telling FoxNews.com. You think I'm making these stories up? I don't make them up. You now have a Newsweek article where you have a teacher in Sacramento out in California, you know, where Gavin Newsom is being recalled blasting parents who are pushing the district to restart in-person learning, describing them in a public statement as, quote, white supremacists and pearl-clutching bullies. The group reopened California schools, demanding an apology from Sacramento's uh, unified school district and their administrators after the teacher ridiculed them in a social media posting. Imagine if it was a conservative. They'd be fired by now. They'd be canceled. The Sunday post to Facebook accused the parents of abusing teachers and treating them, quote, like wait staff amid the COVID-19 pandemic. Teacher says, I'm grateful I kept my children home. <laughs> By the way, Kevin Newsom's kids, they're, they're in school the whole time. Just another side note, just like restaurants are closed, but not to Gavin Newsom, your wonderful governor who wants to be president one day. And t- then it goes on to say, Um, until then, the only way I could measure the level of white supremacy in my neighborhood was the next door app. The people clamoring for a district 
for the district to break its legally negotiated agreement with teachers who are going to be teaching their own children made it much easier. I am as disappointed and I am unsurprised last week we had to blah, 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 blah. All right. Now, now one other quick California story. Can't make this up either. And the headline, uh, where did I see this? I think it was on Reason, uh, their article. Now, according to their report, the headline is basic income programs in Marin County and Oakland County exclude people that happen to be white. It says white people. Is that legal? Then it says the answer mostly hinges on how much the government is involved. So they have these basic income pilot programs, the article goes on, proliferating throughout the San Francisco Bay Area. The goal, empower poor families with unconditional cash grants. But there, there's a catch. You're not eligible if you happen to be a white American. Last week, the Oakland mayor announced the launch of the Oakland Resilient Families Partnership. That's providing 600 families with $500 monthly cash, a stipend for 18 months. Quote, the poverty we witness today is not a personal failure. It's a systems failure. Guaranteed income is one of the most promising tools for systems change, racial equality, economic mobility that we've seen in decades. Well, actually, Donald Trump sent record after record after record on low unemployment for every demographic. Uh, anyway, it was endorsed, promoted by the city government, funded entirely through philanthropic donations. But the government's involved. And those are the conditions that apparently they have another similar project in at the San Francisco Chronicle reported on a thousand dollar monthly stipend for 125 low wage women of color with at least one child over the next two years. Okay, now. Does that sound like a fair system to you? Then Kamala Harris, while discussing parents who can't send their kids to school, well, she resorts to what she usually does. She just laughs and laughs inappropriately. More people are seeing that, yeah, affordable childcare is a big deal. More parents are seeing the value of educators when they had to bring their kids. <laughs> And said, we're not paying them nearly enough. <laughs> Leo 2.0. Sir, how are you? So, you know, that's a nervous laugh. That's an insecure laugh by Kamala Harris. Man, this, that's weird. Is all that, that, I just that, say it's time. about as weird as Joe talking, but go ahead. I was laughing at it because it, it, it's a nervous laugh. It's insecurity, and that's why she does it. She's, she's a one-term officer. In 2024, she won't be elected again. But, Sean, you just listed a, 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 a laundry list of chaos in California, the bluest state, the most uh, liberal state, and yet you have all this racism. Isn't it amazing? The Democrats talk about racism, and, and it, it exists allegedly in the state of California. The fact is it doesn't exist. There is no systemic racism. There is no structural racism. There is no white supremacy. What has happened is that is the Democratic playbook when they don't have an argument, and they're using it over and over again. And I've been challenging it from left to right because it makes no sense. Structural racism does not exist. You cannot tell me, as a former educator, that public schools in California should be open. But they're not because the unions, the unions control the Democratic Party in this entire state. They control Kamala Harris. 
They gave Joe Biden a quarter of a million dollars. And if Gavin Newsom wants their money to, to fight against this recall, he has to let them do whatever they want. And that's why our kids, our American citizens, are behind migrants who are getting free education ahead of kids in our country and in our state who have been harmed for a year and a half. They won't get that year and a half back in education. They are going to be behind as throughout their entire K-12 through life. And I think it's a shame, Sean, that the Democrats are constantly using the race card. And Kamala Harris, I don't know what her role is. She was supposed to be the point person for the White House on the border. She's, she, she, in fact, she has no experience to do that. She, I equated the ICE to KKK. She's a disaster as a VP. But our kids in California are hurting. One final point. This issue about reparations, this issue about private-public partnership to give money to people strictly on color is illegal. If there is any form of government involvement with that private donation in Oakland, there should be a federal civil rights lawsuit because it violates the Equal Protection Clause. It's unconstitutional, and it's basically giving people money or a benefit based on skin color. I thought we fought a war, a civil war against that about 150 years ago. So it makes no sense, Sean. If people are left behind, and, and I, don't, I think the best gift we can give anybody, and, and this is where blue states have failed the minority communities. In big, in big cities run by liberal Democrats for decades and decades, what do we see? We see more crime. We don't see law and order. We now see defunding the police. You, you know, you, you ha- every American should have a right to live in a city with their safety and security and law and order. Every kid should have a quality education. We spend more per capita than any other industrialized nation in the world, Leo 2.0. And, and yet we're like 37th and 40th in results I mean, you have, what, 13 public schools in Baltimore. You don't have a single kid proficient in in reading and math in any of those 13 high schools. Not one. We failed these children on a spectacular level. Now, I argue it's in large part because of this unholy alliance, as I call it, between Democrats and teachers unions and teachers unions that fund the campaigns of elected Democrats and, and putting children as their lowest priority. John, I agree with you 100%. The teacher unions is what is keeping kids of all color, especially minority kids, in these urban democratic cities behind. Everyone knows this, and I'm on your program because I had a good education. Education is the key to break the poverty cycle. And the democratic uh, uh, experiment for the last 50 years in these democratic cities, L.A., Chicago, Washington, D.C., Portland, Seattle, they failed. And look, last year when we had President Trump, he gave us the lowest econ- lowest unemployment among people of color. And, you know, I'll tell you right now, he offered to clean up those Democratic cities last year. They rejected it. His plan toward school choice, charter schools, is what is needed in these Democratic cities. And there's one of the biggest reasons why I left the Democratic Party is because I put a strong emphasis on education. And I'll tell you, Sean, what I'm going to be doing for the rest of my life is to try to break up these teacher unions and these Democratic cities because they are keeping people of color behind, but they want dependency on the government. The Democrats want that type of dependency, and it hurts children more than any other sector in our community. You know, it's pretty unbelievable, Leo 2.0.
All right, quick break. Right back. Other side, more with Leo 2.0, Terrell, and your calls coming up, 800-941-SEAN. Listen, uh, all of us need, all of us want, all of us crave, all of us desire a good night's sleep. And frankly, you all work hard. You deserve one. Now, what works for me is simple. MyPillow.com. Starting with their premium MyPillow. Poor Mike Lindell can't even, you don't have to agree with his politics, but he should be able to at least promote his great products that help liberals and conservatives fall asleep faster and stay asleep longer. Just products are great. Anyway, MyPillow.com does it for me. Starting with their premium MyPillow, I have the MyPillow mattress topper. That's like the pillow for your entire body. Four corner straps. You don't need a new mattress. You put it right over your old one. It's simple. It's easy right now. You'll get 30% off the MyPillow mattress topper. They'll include two standard premium MyPillows, one great bundle, 30% off. Every day, deep discounts at the Sean Hannity Square when you go to MyPillow.com. And if you really want the trifecta, you might want to consider their Giza Dream Sheets, which I love. They all come with a 10-year warranty, 60-day unconditional money-back guarantee. Now, you can call and mention my name, 800-919-6090. Or go to MyPillow.com, Sean Hannity Square, and the sleep you want, need, crave, desire, and deserve will be yours when those products arrive. MyPillow.com, Sean Hannity Square. Please, please, All right, as we continue with Leo 2.0, Terrell, let me get your quick thoughts on... The arguments opening day in the Chauvin case and the death of of George Floyd. Now, yeah. uh, uh, I've made my point about the neck, my my martial arts training. If I put you in a rear naked choke and I I put a lot of pressure on both carotid arteries, I promise you, Leo, you'll be passed out in less than fifteen seconds. If I do a targeted strike hitting the lower part of your jaw into your carotid artery and cut the blood for a fraction of a second, you're going to drop to your knees. So I have that knowledge. So it's the most vulnerable part of the body. Now, the defense is making the case. uh, And again, this went on for nine minutes and 29 seconds. The neck, uh, the knee on the neck of this guy in handcuffs pleading for his life. Please, sir. Please, sir. And then everybody else saying, you got to stop. Look what, look, get your foot off this, get your knee off this guy's neck. Now, the def- defense is claiming that, uh, and rightly so, that when you look at the coroner's report, that in fact there were drugs in his system, including fentanyl. They're making the accusation that in fact he took methamphetamine. That was in there. They might have taken something he believed to be Percocet, all true. But that was not, and then he had some cardiovascular disease. But to me, I think the nine minutes and 29 seconds tell the whole story. Now, I don't like trial by videotape, but had that not happened, I doubt he would have died that way that day. Uh, uh, Sean Hannity, you know, one of the reasons why you and I created such a tremendous bond last year among my conversion to the Republican side was you were front and center on your analysis regarding the death of George Floyd. You took the lead on, on, on radio and on television on that, and I agree with you 100%. George Floyd would be alive but for the 9.23 seconds knee by that officer on his neck. There's no way they could justify that. My biggest, biggest concern, because I was in Minneapolis yesterday to watch the opening statement by both sides, is that I want to make sure that the prosecution – 
not only presents the nine minutes and 23 seconds, but they have to put on quality experts, both from a police tactical standpoint and from a medical standpoint, that George Floyd would be alive today but for the unlawful conduct of Derek Shaven. My only concern, Sean, is this, that I think that they overcharge this officer. They could easily. All right, I want to ask him. you about this on the other side. I'm going to hold you for like okay. three more minutes on the other side okay, of this no break. Problem. Then we're going to get to phone calls, okay? 800-941-SEAN, toll-free telephone number. We'll continue. All right, 25 till the top of the hour. We're just uh, doing some analysis here. Final thoughts with Leo 2.0 Torello's on, uh, on our newsmaker line. So the defense in this in this Chauvin case and the death of George Floyd, they are pointing out that, in fact, in opening arguments, that that in that apparently he was being very difficult for the police to arrest. In other words, that he was arguing that Mr. Floyd early on struggled with the cops, noting that three Minneapolis police officers could not overcome the strength of Mr. Floyd. They're making the point that the autopsy had pointed out, yes, there were drugs in his system, including fentanyl, methamphetamines, or what they even called and referred to as a as a speedball, which is extraordinarily dangerous that people can die from. We need to point that out. The autopsy found the, the fentanyl, the methamphetamine, the speedball, and that, they, okay, nobody's even disputing that he was difficult to arrest. But for the entire nine minutes and 20, what, Nine, nine minutes, 29 seconds that Officer Chauvin had his foot firmly on the neck of George Floyd. In the beginning, he's saying, please, sir, please, sir, um, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. And, you know, then even calling out to his mother in that intervening time. Then he passed out. He had facial abrasions because his, the, his face was in the pavement, the asphalt. And so they're going to basically try and argue it out as to what was the cause of death. Now, I would argue as a martial artist that no neck being the most vulnerable part of the human anatomy can take that type of pressure for that sustained period of time. It just can't. Um, And that it was inevitable. Now, you can make the argument that the drugs in a system coupled with uh, the medical examiner saying that the there were underlying health conditions, cardiac conditions, probably associated with drug use. The defense, uh, the, the prosecution acknowledges he had drug problems. Um, but what killed George Floyd? Now it's a question of legality. You had yes. Minnesota Attorney General Keith Ellison. He added the charge of second degree murder after the appellate challenges uh, because they had earlier, they didn't want to overcharge them. In a lot of these cases, they overcharge. So anyway, last May, the attorney general charged Officer Chauvin with third-degree murder, second-degree uh, manslaughter, and then Keith Ellison, the attorney general of Minnesota, he stepped in, added back the second-degree murder portion of this. Now, the burden of the prosecution in a murder case, it's a very high threshold. And that would then they'd have to prove an applicable second degree murder charge that would require that you're showing the intent and the intent of Officer Chauvin was to cause death. Now, I would argue as a non-lawyer that standard is not going to easily, if at all, be met. Now, that raises expectations in the minds of the public thinking, oh, they're going to get a second degree murder charge conviction here. 
Now, the only good news is, in some cases, some states, some locales, juries are not given options. In this case, they will be given the three options. In other words, if they can't meet that standard on second-degree murder, then they can go to the lesser offenses as the defendant is charged. You're the attorney, civil rights attorney, for, what, four decades. You tell me, did they did, did the involvement of Keith Ellison raise the bar so high that the prosecution can't meet that bar that proves intent to murder? Excellent summary, Sean. You could be a lawyer. I give you a grade of an A. You did an excellent summary. I was on your program when Keith Ellison took over this case. I thought it was wrong. I was on your program when Keith Ellison made the political decision not only to take over this case, but to charge second degree. He overcharged back last year, and that charge still exists, and it creates a problem because, as you correctly stated, it raises the expectation. In other words, the lesser included charge, the manslaughter charge, I think is an appropriate one. But you know what? That's going to create some tension in the public. If he's charged and convicted on the third-degree charge, people are going to be dissatisfied. Why? Because Keith Ellison played politics. Because I don't believe Derek Chavin woke up that morning and said, I'm going to kill George Floyd today. That's why that second-degree murder charge is ridiculous. I want to make that clear. Ridiculous. There's no intent. So I think that the expectations are high, and if there's not a second-degree murder charge of conviction— we're going to have some. I think we're going to have some problems this summer, regardless of the outcome. But I think that second-degree murder charge. I don't see a conviction on that charge because the standard of proof is too high. Uh, great analysis. It's going to be interesting to watch. Um, and and I understand the argument. You know that he was difficult. My argument back though for those that are saying, well, he had drugs in his system, Hannity fought the cops earlier. At the time that the knee was on the neck, he was in handcuffs. You're right. In other words, he was not a threat to any officer at that moment in any way, shape, manner or form. And what bothers me, Leo Terrell, is, you know, I'm, I'm a student of martial arts. I've been training for eight years. I train four or five days a week, an hour and a half a day is I can promise you the next time I'll do it to you. The next time I see you, if you want, <laughs> I'll take two of your fingers. Just I'll take one of your fingers. I don't even need to. And I won't break them. But mm-hmm. yeah, but I will manipulate it very quickly to the point where you go, ah, 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 ah. <laughs> okay, now, that would be full compliance. What bothers me is a veteran police officer, the average one, doesn't know how to do what I just outlined here. Correct. You could have put him in a Kardashian wrist lock, as simple as that. I know Correct. if I put you in a rear naked choke and I, got, and I lock it in, meaning I got it, I, I promise you, you pass out. And I probably could do it in 12 seconds or 11. I don't doubt it, Sean. The key here is that police training needs to be updated. What you just expressed to your radio listeners, that needs to be, that needs to be updated in the training procedures. There needs to be alternatives. The neck, as you correctly stated, is the weakest part of the body. And that pressure for nine minutes and 24 seconds, way too long. If I was the prosecution, you know what I would do? I wouldn't play the tape. I would say, Your Honor, I would like to play. I would like to have nine minutes and 29 seconds of silence. That would drive home the fact that was too long for Chavin to have his neck on George Floyd's neck without any type of alternative measure to relieve him of the pain and pressure. Did you hear, by the way, side note, this guy that was convicted of murdering a police officer in 1981, the guy's name's Richard Rivera, convicted, murdering a police officer, uh, fatally shot an NYPD cop execution style in a Queens bar, Queens, New York, 
Now he's helping, quote, reform the police in upstate New York as part of a state mandated plan launched by Governor Andrew Cuomo, a cop killer murdered an off duty dad of four, Robert Walsh, in 1981, now sitting on a panel uh, on issues involving police reform. Tell me what yes, is I, I just can't I, even I, believe it. I can't believe he. I'm speechless. That makes no sense. A man has no right to sit on that board. Every police officer, family member should be objecting. I don't know what the backdoor story is between him and the governor, but that makes no sense whatsoever. All right. Leo 2.0, Terrell, sir. You're a great American. Thank you, sir. 800-941-SEAN. You want to be a part of the program. Uh, all right. Let us get to our busy telephones here. Iris has been very patient in Florida. Hi, Iris. Thanks for your patience. Hey, Sean. So glad to speak with you. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm great because I'm in Florida. Um, I have a question for you. Since Democrats are pushing H.R. 1, what they call election reform, how are we ever going to get a Republican back in office? Well, I mean, the answer to that question is uh, if they get it in place, I don't know how we ever undo it. Now, there is a way to stop it. They need a quorum. And if Republicans unite together, that would include Mitt Romney. That would include Ben Sass, the jackass. That would include Lisa Murkowski and everybody else. Uh, they could leave the chamber and not have a quorum. And that's not a vote, a, a tie vote that that Kamala Harris could break. So they can stop it if they unite. Now, I'm going to invite Mitch McConnell on, on, this, on this show and on TV, and I'm going to ask Mitch McConnell if he will insist that his members do that. Mm-hmm. I have a question, another question for you. Um, I, I heard you the other day speaking with our wonderful governor, Ron DeSantis. Are you going to move down to Florida? I am looking at any possibility I can. Let me just put it very delicately. Contractual obligations currently keep me in New York, if that makes any sense to you. Sure it does. But with the exception of you coming down here, I'm really concerned about all the influx of New Yorkers coming to Florida and turning our state blue. That's another you know, big concern for us down here. Listen, trust me, um, I really do. Uh, first of all, I, I, I do own property down in in Florida already. I've been up. Uh, I've been going to Florida for years and years and years now, over 15 years. And I, I would I want to be down there. I need to get out of here. I love the people of Florida. Um, I think the people of Florida understand that they have it special. I think they understand. They can see what's happening with New York. They can see what's happening in Illinois. They can see what's happening in California and New Jersey and Pennsylvania. And I don't think they want any part of it. And I think they don't mind people moving into the state. But they don't want people bringing their idiotic, stupid policies that destroyed the states they're coming from to come with them. They need to leave those policies behind. Right. But do you think that the people moving down actually abandon those those, you know, ideologies? I think they they bring them with them. I don't know if they leave them behind. Well, if they then they're all they're going to do is ruin the next state they go to. That's a problem that concerns me. Anyway, Iris, God bless you. You're a lot smarter than I am. I, I concede the point. Uh, Maureen is in Rockaway Beach in New York. Hey, Maureen, how are you? Glad you called. Hey, Sean, how you doing? I'm, I'm good. How I are you? Too. Okay. Um, I am just calling because uh, my daughter uh, 
was supposed to start um, her master's, right? Because of COVID, she's a performance, uh, opera performance student. She couldn't do it. She's working hard to start paying off her loans. And the guy that she works for owns uh, a little storefront company and told the kids yesterday who are all in their 20s, uh, you guys have till June to get the vaccine or you're fired. And whoa, 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 like, whoa, whoa. They, so yeah, your daughter had yeah. COVID. Yes, okay. She had COVID and she's so, full of antibodies. We both are. Okay. We just so tested, she, um, probably five weeks ago. And who's making her get a vaccine? Her boss. Okay. Her, all of them across the board. That should be illegal. And by the way, thank God, Governor DeSantis is fighting back on this idiotic, um, yeah, you know, right. I a, heard a vaccine yeah, passport too. idea. You know, I, 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 maybe it's just the libertarian in me, Maureen, but maybe I'm old fashioned. But I actually believe in people's right to personal medical privacy. You know, as, as, as long as the only thing that I, I really would insist that people do in, in the sense that if you have a soul, you do it anyway. If you end up with COVID and you got in contact with other people, you're going to have to make that difficult call. You're going to have to tell them, hey, um, you might be exposed. Please get a test. That's important. Right. right? You know, if you're so if you're family. now if, if you choose not to socially distance or wear a mask, that's fine. But don't bring that home to grandma and grandpa, mom and dad either. But as far as deciding whether or forcing somebody to get a vaccine and and having, you know, your your passport dependent on a vaccine when you have the antibodies. By the way, even when your antibody levels go low, you still have what they call T-cell antibodies that would recognize the virus immediately if you were exposed. Again, you do know that, correct? I definitely do. Believe me, I'm all over this. But trying to find accurate information on the Internet is next to impossible. Now, two different doctors have told me that the CDC, that it's illegal because the CDC only allowed the vaccine in emergency use, and this does not constitute emergency use. And for that reason, it's, it's not legal for an employer to do it at this point. Um, I cannot find anything stating it online. It's crazy. It's crazy. I would tell, listen, if I was you, I'd get a lawyer now and get a letter to yeah. that boss and tell that boss, you're not going to force me to get a vaccine if, if I have antibodies and my doctor. That is a decision for her, her, your daughter and her doctor to make. And she Absolutely. shouldn't have to disclose it to anybody either. Well, All right, Maureen, God I, bless you. I hope you get through this. I really do. Wrap things up with today. Loaded up tonight. Man, do we have a lot to get to. All right, Laura Trump will be with us. Senator Kennedy, Louisiana, New Gingrich, Senator Cruz, Greg Jarrett, Leo Terrell 2.0, Dan Bongino. News you will not get from the media mob. Yes, we will update you on the trial of Officer Chauvin. We have our cameras at the border. Our investigative reporting continues. The latest on the coronavirus CDC director's warning of impending doom. And, of course, Joe Biden. Oh, it's only $3 trillion in taxes he's going to raise. No worries. All happening 9 Eastern tonight. See you then. Back here tomorrow. Thanks for being with us.